Well, fall has, I feel like, more officially arrived, even though it was 80 this week. And uh, I don't know about you, but how many, how many would say fall is your favorite season? Any, any of you? I, I am with you in that camp. Some of you all are like, I don't like fall because it means summer has died and winter is about to arrive. Some of you are not like that. Also, I've learned in Indiana, fall seems to be about like three days, and they're not all in a row either usually. Um, but I love fall. I love the activities. I love the sights, the smells. Uh, I love the colors, and I love the tastes, although I love the taste of every season really. How many would say you, uh, if you had to choose, uh, actually here, we're going to, we're going to take 30 seconds and I want you to find someone sitting nearby you, uh, and, and share real quick. Have a quick debate. Things may get passionate, but remember, uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, here's, here's the debating question. Uh, which is the better fall flavor? Pumpkin or apple cider? Ready? Discuss. Go. Bring it back in. I'm very excited to see. I didn't see any fists. I didn't see anyone stomp out. Um, I don't know if any marriages are going to have to go to counseling specifically because of this issue. But it's interesting, right? Everyone has their own own things. Now, I'm, I'm not, I like pumpkin, but I'm going to be honest. Can we all just be real for a second? They've gone overboard. Um, they've gone overboard. Like pumpkin-flavored bubble gum, it's not a good idea. Um, you know, some of these things, they've gotten really extreme. But I would say I am on, even though I love pumpkin, I'm on team apple cider. Not, not the, thank you. Sweet. I will not lose my job, I guess, apparently, which is good. But then it's even interesting. I didn't realize until uh, my wife and I got married, I, I was never a hot cider drinker. I've always been typically a cold cider drinker. And, you know, even people have their own very uh, distinctly passionate uh, ideas. Uh, I, I just love fall. One of the reasons why I love fall, one of the reasons why I love apples in particular is in my hometown, there was this place called Clackles Orchard. And we would, it's very similar to, I think, McClure's uh, up near Peru, uh, where it just has lots of fun stuff. And I even worked there uh, for a little while while I was in high school, which some of you are like, you worked? Wow. Um, and then it's going to even more surprise you. What I used to do is I would be one of those uh, people who would take people out on um, tractor pulled sort of wagon things with the seats and I would take you out and we would go into the orchards and you would do um, the self-picking you know the one where they give you the small bag that costs like $30 and you can only fit five apples so you wear baggy clothes that's just a pro tip um, and figure out lots of pockets but it was always I was kind of a fun job I won't lie I got paid terribly I'm pretty sure I didn't get lunch breaks which I'm mildly sure is illegal um, but we're not going to say uh, anything to them about that they actually transferred ownership this last year anyways. Uh, but one of the things that I liked about that job that was interesting is I learned a lot about apples. And I, I don't still know um, all of the things, but, you know, I learned about different things like, oh, this type of apple is great for baking. This one, uh, you want to wait and let it sit for a little while before you eat it. Some of them uh, had just different complexities. And one of the things that I learned that I was just maybe not that smart in thinking about was how long it would take uh, from the time that a, uh, a seed would be planted for an apple tree to the time that it would begin to produce fruit, I just assumed it was quick. Um, in, my, in my house, my dad was always into having a garden in our backyard. And so I was used to seeing, all right, you plant the green beans, you know, in the spring, and by, you know, kind of the end of summer, fall, you're beginning to experience some of the fruits of the labor, right? 
And so to me, I just assumed some of those things were like that. What I didn't realize, and maybe you didn't realize this either, is that, for example, for an apple tree, and this is true of other uh, types of trees sometimes too, is that typically at the earliest, an apple tree will start uh, growing fruit that you can actually eat, you'll actually see uh, in a two-year period. But it could go all the way to 10 years that it begins to produce fruit. In fact, um, one of the trees as you drive in uh, was an apple tree. When I moved here six years ago, I never remember seeing uh, any fruit. And uh, so we've been in the building for uh, 11 years now. And it was like two years ago, we started to just see apples drop. And at first we're like, where did these come from? Is someone trying to pull like a prank on us or what? Did someone like just drop their garbage out here? And uh, it's interesting though how things take a while sometimes, don't they? And in our kind of world, our culture, and, and, and maybe for some of us, the way that we're wired, kind of our personalities, we tend to want instant results. We tend to want things to go quickly. And we tend to want to see some sort of progress. And yet, if we're honest, the way that God has created things, even things like apple trees, it points us to this reality that things don't always happen quickly or instantaneously. And then oftentimes, some of the most important growth, the most important uh, labor happens in the time when we're not seeing the fruits, when things haven't arrived just yet. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our series called Relatable. And uh, last week, we began this series. And this series is about this idea that uh, as followers of Jesus, we have uh, a very relational DNA and that we tend to move in three different ways with relationships. And we're not just talking about romantic relationships. We're just talking about relationships in general. But it tends to go in three movements, uh, upward in relationship to God, outward into relationship with our neighbors, and inward in relationship with our soul. And last week, we, we, we teased out this idea of talking about self-awareness and understanding the difference between uh, what sometimes in our culture can be self-absorption versus self-awareness, that self-absorption is all about trying to be so focused on ourselves so we can better ourselves for just the benefit of ourselves. Whereas a healthy dose of self-awareness as a follower of Jesus is all about this idea of how can I better understand who God created me to be in in, in this mindset of whose I am in Christ and how can my self-awareness help me better connect with God and better serve and love others. And in particular, we talked about this idea of that developing self-awareness should bring us to a place of greater awareness of God. Think about this. If God created us in his image, if God saved us for the end of creation, and he basically said, I am making this the most important thing on the echelon. This is, this is my greatest masterpiece. That in many ways, that if we want to honor God, we should explore who he created us to be. We should explore our brokenness and our beauty. Because as people who live in a broken, fallen world, the reality is every single one of us, through both nurture and nature, are made up of things that are very Christ-like and things that are very not. And all of these things remind us of a need for a Savior. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to somewhat continue on in our conversation about self-awareness. But in, in reality, this morning, what I really want to focus more on is this idea of how do we take this idea of developing self-awareness, of, of, of honoring God by, by leaning into how we've been created, understanding both our strengths and our weaknesses, understanding some of our motivations, our fears, our desires, some of which 
are godly and some of which are very not. And what's the solution? How do we unpack that so we can have greater impact in our relationships both with God the Father and our neighbors? And so this morning what I really want to talk about is how do we walk with God? How do we engage in relationship with the God of all the universe to work through some of these things? Because while it's important to understand oneself, apart from God, there is no real transformation. That apart from Jesus Christ, of his, his death on the cross, his blood being shed for us, and his raising to victory out of the tomb, we recognize that we could read all the self-help books, we could understand our strengths, our weaknesses, but the reality is, is without a relationship with Christ, without the transforming power, without the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we don't stand a chance to really be transformed. That... On our own, we cannot save ourselves. And so this morning, we're going to dive into this. We're going to talk a little bit more, too, again, about this idea of this thing called the Enneagram. The Enneagram is, is a personality test like many others. Uh, its uniqueness and why we are using it somewhat as a tool, especially if you get one of the journals, is just this, is that part of the idea of the Enneagram is it specifies this idea of there being kind of nine different personality types. And it talks in particular about the internal processes rather than just external. So rather than just you are an organized person or you are a great communicator or you tend to be a person who uh, can think through and brainstorm things really well or bring optimism to hard situations, it tries to go to the core ideas of why you interact that way. What is the core longings, desires, fears that you have? Not saying that they are necessarily right or not sinful, uh, some of them, but understanding them more because sometimes when we understand the why, we can handle some of the what and the when and the how to deal with that. We understand how we can set up boundaries for uh, staying away from temptation, or we can understand gifts that God has given us that we can lean into to greater impact the kingdom of God in our community. And so we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about that, and we're going to talk in particular uh, some ways in which each uh, different type, each different personality maybe has the opportunity that there's natural ways they can interact with God that's going to be really easy for them and some of them that are more difficult and how sometimes some of the best fruit is found in the harshest conditions. So if you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to the Gospel of John chapter 15. If not, it's going to be up on uh, the screen. And we're going to read from one of my favorite uh, passages. Uh, I love the Gospel of John and I love this section. Part of me, uh, why I love this section is, uh, my grandfather who was a pastor, this was sort of his life verse. I remember this was a big part of, uh, his funeral service. And, uh, this, this, this particular part of scriptures is sometimes known as the vine and the branches. And if you've been around church, maybe this is familiar. Uh, if you're not, uh, listen in, cause this is just good stuff. So this is Jesus teaching, and he just says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Let's pause there for a real quick second. So it's always important when we read scripture to realize that who it was originally written to or who the hearers of Jesus' original uh, uh, teaching oftentimes are going to have some little like Easter egg things that make it a little bit more interesting for them. So uh, it's interesting to note that when Jesus calls himself the true vine throughout the Old Testament, the, the Israelite people, the, these people that God had this special relationship to, they were oftentimes referred to as the vine. And oftentimes in uh, different uh, uh, prophetic teachings 
the prophets uh, speaking on God's behalf would talk about this idea of Israel being the vine and sometimes talking about how the vine was just going to be cut. And so Jesus begins to take on this mantle as Savior by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And he continues on and he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will have, it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit beside itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And he continues on by saying, I am the, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you do not remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into a fire, and burned. And if you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you would bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. Now, there's a lot there, so let's let's try to unpack some of that. So again, Jesus proclaims this idea that he is the true vine. That, that where the idea of having this set-apart group of people. You know, in, in the Old Testament, oftentimes we see this idea that, 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 that if we get this holy group of people, that after this fall, after this, this, this sin came into the world and there's division between uh, God and his creation, God and his children, the whole idea of uh, redemption originally was, I'm going to have this special relationship with this family, with this people group. And that if they live this holy, set-apart life, that is uh, following my will in my way, that eventually it would bring people back into relationship as they would be a blessing to other people. And so obviously we see, if we read the Old Testament, constantly this story of a God trying to, to, to go about different ways to redeem and restore. And we finally see this point where even though it was always known that that would happen, we see God coming and quite literally putting some skin in the game by sending himself, his one and only son, into this world. And so we see this where Jesus is putting on this mantle and he's beginning to say, listen, if you want to connect to the Father, it's going to be through me. It's no longer going to be through sacrifices. It's no longer going to be about just being a good person. It's not going to be about your family pedigree. That if you truly want to experience life and fullness, if you want to experience forgiveness of sin, if you want to experience just having this purpose and worth and value, you're not going to find it apart from me. And he makes this idea, too, that obviously, and most of us would probably agree, yeah, if, if, if something is pulled away from a vine or some sort of tree, uh, it's not really going to produce fruit on its own. Now, I know some of you are going to be like, well, but eventually if something rotted and the seed went down, I get that. But there's this reality still that it is from the vine in which fruit grows off of, or from a tree, or from a stalk, however you want to. I'm not that agriculturally savvy. Um, Although I feel like there's a lot of agricultural things. I feel like when I was in school, they should have taught me more about farming. But I digress. But he uses this word, he says remain. Some, 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 uh, some translations will use the word abide. And, and it's this idea of, of, of recognizing this fact that we can't work it out ourselves. I mean, do you realize that, think about this. A apple growing on a tree can't do anything for itself to grow much more, right? Really, it 
It's just there. It's trusting in the vine, and it's trusting in uh, the gardener, which would be God, the Father, to prune what needs to be pruned and to continue to sustain the growth. And so essentially what Jesus is trying to say in this scripture is just this, that if you want to grow, if you want to be connected to God, you have to be connected to me. Now, I know what some of you guys are sitting here thinking like, man, pastor, that is just mind-blowing. Never heard a message like this in my life. And you're right. It is very elementary thought, right? If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be close to God, you have to connect with God. I know what you're thinking. That's not rocket science. But the truth is, most of us, if we were to look at our lives, if we're honest, more often than not, we want to experience growth and we want to experience some of the fruit of living like Christ or, or, or some of the, the kind of the fruit of the spirit, which we'll talk about in a moment. But most of us try to do it on our own. And I'll just be honest. There's many times in my life where I deeply just like, I need patience. And yet I recognize that my attitudes, my thoughts, my actions are not aligning at all with what Jesus did when it came to living a life full of patience. In fact, there's often times where I head into stressful situations that I know I might not have great self-control. I may not have good patience. And yet, if I'm honest, there's times where I don't go into it ready, connected to the Father in a deep way. And I'm guessing that if we were to look at most of our lives or if we were to take an anonymous poll, most of us would probably say something similar. That we want the benefits of following Christ We want God to take care of us in a great way. We want to see fruit in our life. And yet most of us either don't want to do the work of figuring out self-awareness, or we want to do it apart from God. You know, pruning is an interesting practice, right? You have to prune certain things on certain plants and things like that so there can be greater growth. Most of us, we don't really like the idea of pruning in our life, do we? We don't like the idea of having to look at where we're weak. I don't. I'll be honest. When people call me on that, my natural instinct, as much as I'd like to say I'm holy and be like, I love constructive criticism, is to be defensive. Or to throw at them, well, look what you have. And yet we recognize that that's not where true growth happens. And so the reality is, is that if we really want to experience more peace in our life, We want to experience joy. We want to lean into this this life that Jesus promised for us. Well, guess what? We can't just say, Jesus, I want this to happen. But by the way, um, you can't touch that part of my life. We can't say, hey, I, I really want to experience these things. But by the way, I still hold these beliefs that I brought before I came to follow you. And I, I still want to have my beliefs on this. There has to be this natural pruning. In the same way, the reality is over time, too, some of us need pruning because we have gotten so focused on things like theology and we've lost love. We get so focused on doing the right things. And this, again, goes back to this idea that different personalities have different strengths and weaknesses, even even in the body of Christ, in terms of some people are great at knowing truth, of knowing biblical truths, but terrible at loving their neighbor. And there are some people who are great at loving their neighbor, but they don't always have the truth that they need to help love them in a certain way. 
And we allow certain things to happen. And it has to be this holistic thing. But again, all of it goes back to this idea of remaining in Him, of abiding in Him. Now, here's the truth, though. Abiding is something that is both a posture of not doing anything, but also a place of doing things. Now, I know some of you are going to be like, you're saying two different things, and you are right. Because the reality is, growth in Christ comes from both being still and knowing that He is God, of just remaining in Him, but also recognizing this fact that we have an obligation to do the things that God calls us to do. That we have the obligation to recognize that when it comes to wanting to see fruit in our lives, anyone who's a farmer, anyone who's ever trying to grow something, realizes that you don't just plant a seed and just leave it alone and hope for the best. That you have to water it. You have to make sure it gets sunlight. You have to pull weeds. You have to prune things sometimes. You have to till soil. There's so many things. And that's the issue. Most of us want the fruit without experiencing or living out any of the faithfulness of following Jesus. We want all of the things with none of the work. And so what do we do with this? How do we try to experience uh, growth in a different way. I think one of it goes back to this idea of some self-awareness and also some awareness of what does it look like to have some sort of plan and intention in growing in Christ. I think there's going to be uh, something up on the screen. I want to talk a little bit about the journals again real quick. So inside the journal, it talks again in this series a little bit about this thing called the Enneagram. And so if you have a journal, you can, um, if you don't have one, that's okay. But if you open up to starting on page 21, there's different um, things for each type. And I'm not going to go over every single one, uh, but in each one, there are um, different types here. And, and what it, what's kind of cool is, for example, if you're a type one, they, they're oftentimes uh, known as people who are organized, idealistic, uh, they're perfectionistic, uh, they can be critical. And, and each single one uh, has some different things where it talks about virtues and vices. We're going to talk about that on a different um, week, but it, it talks through some of the strengths and the weaknesses uh, each and every single one. In, in the seven, which is the number that I, I'm pretty sure I identify with, is called the enthusiast. They're eliminators of possibility. They're entertaining, accomplished. Uh, they're playful. They enjoy these things. And, but each single one has ways in which uh, they are a gift to the kingdom of God, and they have uh, places in which they can be a little bit of a detriment, where there's things when they're not in check, they're not good. One of the things that I really like that's in here are these things called downstream and upstream habits, or sometimes we refer to them as uh, upstream and downstream disciplines. Now, discipline is a word that uh, I think most of us in culture think of it from a negative standpoint, right? When we hear discipline, we hear, I'm in trouble, I'm going to receive correction for what I did wrong. Yet the truth is, disciplines can be something that when we have them in our life, they are not correction because of things that we did bad. They are boundaries so we try to do the things that God has called us to do that is good. That they in many ways are like doing work in a garden to ensure that there will be fruit rather than waiting until all the weeds are there and then pulling them. And so the idea of an upstream versus a downstream habit or discipline is just this. Is There's this idea that if you've ever went swimming in a river, how many of you guys have ever tried to swim upstream? It's a little bit of work, right? There's some resistance there because the water is coming this way. That's why typically if you ever go canoeing or kayaking or tubing down a river, you tend to try to go 
downstream, right? Because it's just going to glide you down. And so the idea of this is just this, is that different personality types have, have ways that they can connect with God that are going to be a little bit easy for them and ones that are going to be hard. For example, the, the ones who are the, the reformers, they're these more kind of ordered, perfectionistic people. A downstream uh, habit or discipline for them may be something like walks in nature and meditating on God's word. That may be something that comes really easy to a person like that. Something that may be a more difficult thing for them would be journaling. Or, for example, if you are a, uh, if you are a three, the three is the performer. They care a lot about what others think about them. They tend to be uh, highly achieving people. They are uh, motivated oftentimes uh, by this idea of wanting, uh, wanting to be seen and felt um, like they matter and they have um, some sort of accomplishing things. For them, a downstream habit, something that might be easier for them is, is, is Bible reading. But one of the things that might be really difficult for them is confessing and fasting. If you look through here, uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, but it's this reality that probably some of us would say, you know what, maybe Bible reading comes really easy to me. I'm, I'm really habitual and I'm good at doing these certain things. Some of you may say the complete opposite. For some, it may be really easy to want to connect with others and maybe even be um, have a, a vulnerable relationship with others. Some, that's really difficult. The truth is, we have to have a good mix in our life of both upstream and downstream habits or disciplines because it is there when we are doing these things is that's where we're going to begin to see the growth we're going to be able to see the fruit in our life and it's going to come from the place where sometimes you know the upstream habits i like to think of them of being as you've probably heard people talk about the low-hanging fruit they're the things that when you start following jesus it just comes natural it's easy but there are other ones that are more difficult you know i i don't, I don't know about you but i i've been trying to do the whole following jesus thing for for a while now, and there are still um, some fruit that are pretty up high for me that I'm still trying to figure out how to get up there. And most of them come from a place of uh, there are things that don't come naturally easy to me. They're not things that I find joy in. And so I think it's important to recognize that. Again, um, check this out with the Enneagram 2 in here. There's going to be places where if you want to try to take a test, you can do that. But tests can be hard sometimes. Sometimes we're not honest. So sometimes the easiest way is to just look through the type and say, does this resonate with me? Some, some people who, who teach about the Enneagram will also say, if you read a type and you're like, gosh, I hate that person, that might be you. Um, I, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> it might be you. Um, but again, it's this whole idea of understanding this self-awareness, not so we can better ourselves so we are greater, but so we can have a greater connection to Christ and be more generous in love towards others. Here's really what it kind of bottles down to, friends, is just this, is that growth and intimacy with God is intentional. That, that, that like any other relationship, you don't grow in relationship with one another. You don't grow in intimacy by accident. You know, any good marriage that goes on forever, it's not just an accident. You didn't just accidentally all of a sudden you're married and all of a sudden you have this great marriage. Uh, it took work. It took uh, years of cultivation. It took trust. It, 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 it took um, connecting with each other and being honest with each other. And in the same way, we can't expect to have an intimate relationship with God. We can't expect to have growth in our life if we are not intentionally seeking it out, if we're not intentionally practicing disciplines and habits, being in a community. I mean, I'll just be frank with you guys. Some people I know who um, they talk about like, man, I just don't feel like I, I'm connecting with God in a certain way. And the questions begin to come, well, do you spend time with him on a regular basis? Well, no. Or, well, I come to church, and it's like, well, how often do you come to church too? Well, like once a month. 
you know, we, we, we get into these things where um, it goes back to, again, this idea of, of what, we, what we sow or what we plant is what we will reap. I mean, it's the same idea where some of us, uh, I, I like to put it this way in, in the analogy of, of what we're ex- trying to experience in our life in terms of a relationship with Christ. Uh, it's, it's sort of like someone who wants to grow apples who plants an orange tree. And we wonder when eventually things bloom why we have oranges instead of apples. What did you plant? What was your, what was your intention? What were your actions? Some of us are still sitting also, though, and saying, I don't see the fruit yet. And the truth comes back to, again, this idea that not everything is instantaneous. That like every relationship, I'm not saying that you don't experience fruit, you don't experience peace, you don't experience relationship with Christ immediately, but it's this thing that it takes time to, get, to cultivate. It takes time to, to, to know each other. And, and the truth is, I know that's probably funny to say, but for some of us, especially maybe if we have trust issues, for some of us it takes a while for us to get to a place of trust with God. And you know it's okay? I don't think God's afraid of us because of that. I don't think he says, wow, you're not immediately just figuring this out and falling in line. I think what he says is, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. Continue to remain in me. Continue to show up and trust me. Continue to seek out this. Because the truth is, following Jesus is about becoming love. It's all about this idea of we're trying to become love. We're trying to look more and more like him and less and less like ourselves. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. And starting in verse 16, it just says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And they are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. And then he spells out what the different sort of things of the flesh are. And, and some of these, in our kind of our natural bent wiring, some of these fall in. Now, again, just because something comes natural to us does not make it not sinful. I'm going to say that again. Just because something comes natural or is a habit we easily fall into, we can't say, well, here's the thing. I'm just a, I'm just a type five, and so that's just part of who I am. Um, your type, your personality, natural bents are not an excuse for sin. Plain and simple. And, and the reality is sin is, isn't just the things that you do do. Sorry, I just said do do. Um, but they're also the things. Man, you guys are so immature. Um, but they're also the things that you know you ought to be doing and aren't doing. You see, you can sin by having good, having gifts, having, having uh, resources that you withhold from using for the kingdom of God. And so... Every single one has the opportunity. But so, so here's what he says these are, these acts of flesh. He says they're obvious. They're sexual immorality. They're impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Also, can we pause for one second? Sometimes people talk about like the early church, like the early church have it all together. So this is this is a letter that, that a guy named Paul wrote to a specific church. And so that means that everything he is listing in there means that the, the church folk of that early church were doing them. So here's the good news, but I just want to tell you. If you're a hot mess, you are not alone. 
which hopefully there's some of these that we're not still experiencing. But he does talk about this. Some of these things in here, we excuse. Some of these things, we say things like, whether it's boys will be boys or, you know, that's just, that's just sort of what we do. That's part of life. And so these are things that we recognize are things that if they're a part of our life, need to be pruned out of our life. That they can't forever just be an excuse to say, I live under the grace of God so I can get drunk whenever I want. Or, well, he loves me, whatever, and so I can look at pornography because it's not that big of a deal. I'm not harming anyone else. We can have idols in our life, and sometimes idols are good things in our life. And so these are places that maybe if you're wondering, thinking, Aaron, I don't think I have anything I need to prune in my life. (laughs) If you want to have a let's be honest conversation, I would love to do that with you. (laughs) Because Lord knows I could have that with myself. But this is what it does say the fruit of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have been crucified with the flesh, with his passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep on step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Friends, the fruit of the Spirit, too, is not something where we pick and choose. I believe that the fruit of the Spirit is something that we are all created, no matter our personality type, no matter our strengths, our weaknesses, no matter our, our, our background, that we are created to experience all of these fruits in our life at some point or another. And Lord knows when I look at that list, there have been times where I know I am killing it with one fruit and other times where I know I am slacking in another. But every single one of them, what I've recognized in my own life is that when I stop being intentional about connecting with Christ, about gathering in a community, it's then where I recognize that oftentimes I am a tree, I am a branch that's no longer connected to the vine. That I'm no longer seeing fruit in my life, and the reason isn't because God isn't doing something, it's because I've disconnected. I found this quote this week from a guy named Reggie McNeil, from a book that I thought was pretty funny. Uh, the title is called uh, Get Off Your Donkey. Um, I'll leave that there. And uh, But he said this, uh, we don't earn our salvation. Jesus does that. But when it comes to the stewardship of our lives, we cannot just offer up Jesus' work on our behalf. God expects us to do something with what we have received. Now, don't mishear his words there that this is a works-based gospel. But it's this reality that here's the really good news. The work has already been done for us. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's no sort of work in which you can do to figure out salvation at a greater extent. Or you, 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 It's not like this rewards, you know, if you get enough miles of good deeds that eventually you're going to get this extra place in heaven. But there is this reality that to continue to remain in Him requires to stay there. It requires work to be a part of that. And and we recognize this idea that the work that Jesus has done is what saves us. But that work, we should have an outpouring and offering of doing things because of that. That there should be something about this idea that that if we are loved people, that we should love people. That That if we've experienced the love of Christ, if we've experienced transformation in our lives, then guess what? That means that 
we should have a different life. The way we act, the attitudes that we have, the way that we spend our money, we spend our time, the way we parent our children, the way we interact with our spouse in all other relationships means there should be something else that we need to do. And I really do believe that when it comes to this idea of self-awareness, others' awareness, and even connection with God, it is a stewardship issue. Because guess what? We all only have one soul. Only one heart. And we all only get one life here on earth. And so the big question becomes, what are we going to do with what we have been given? Are we going to honor God by by leaning in to better understanding who He created us to be? Are we going to lean into Him in particular to recognize the fact that apart from Him, we can do nothing? Nothing. But that through Him, He promises that impossible things can happen. Man, I don't know about you guys. I've been reading the, the, the New Testament a lot lately, and I long to see some of the miracles. I long to see authentic community that looks like that. But I realize that doesn't just happen by building a building, by getting people to come into a room. It takes the Holy Spirit to do something that only the Holy Spirit can do. And it takes us having a willing posture and willingness to continue to grow, to do the difficult things. But it always starts with remaining. As Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 3, may he become greater and I become less. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And and I want to finish reading the last little bit of the Gospel of John chapter 15 where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And then we're going to pray and we're going to sing a song. So hear these words with me. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. May you hear these words Jesus speaking to you specifically. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you are my friends, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. But instead, I call you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father will be given to you. This is my command, love each other. Do you realize this is not something that we get to do because we're great or anything other than the fact of what Jesus did for us? This morning, I hope as we respond through a song, as we have a moment, I hope and pray that no one leaves this place not knowing the truth, that the God of all the universe deeply and desperately loves you, that he created you uniquely, and he sees the brokenness in your life, and he sees the beauty in your life, and he says, I can do something amazing with this if you'll choose to remain in me. And that that same God loves you exactly where you are, in your brokenness that you acknowledge, in the brokenness that you don't want to acknowledge, in the brokenness that you recognize already, in the brokenness that I know right now in my own life that I still am having to be pruned away from. He loves you right there. But he also loves you far too much to leave you there. 
He loves you far too much to settle for just this little bit of fruit. He wants us to bear fruit in a great, great way. To know that you are loved. Know that he has great plans to see you grow. But know that it's going to take intentionality. It's going to take a choice. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for the fact that, God, we don't have to work out our own salvation. God, I'm thank you, thankful for the fact that, that, God, that there's a debt that I could never pay that's already been paid by your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for the fact that, that, that for me to experience new life, for me to really uh, experience the fullness of that debt being paid, that all I have to do is choose relationship with your son, Jesus, to remain in him, to follow him, to follow his teachings, his ways. God, I pray that we would begin to, again, to foster not a self-absorption, but a self-awareness. So we could see the places in our life, God, where we could stay far from temptation. And God, where we could see in our life places where you have gifted us in a way that we could connect with you greater. Where we could serve others in a greater way. That that great kingdom impact can happen. God, most of all this morning, God, I pray that for many of us, we could lay down the mantle of trying to work out salvation for ourselves. That many of us could stop trying to be our own Savior and just accept you as Savior. That we would know that all we need to do is reach out and ask for the forgiveness of our sin, the brokenness, the darkness in our lives. That we no longer need to live a life full of fear or shame, but that we would just experience, maybe even in this moment, just your light, your peace, and your joy. God, as we respond in song, God, I pray that whatever you may want to tell us in this moment, God, that we would connect close to you, that our ears and our hearts would be open to hear from you. Speak, Lord. We are listening.